0: We all know that I am really, really, ridiculously good-looking. But there's more to life than that. I'm almost positive of it. This episode is uh, pretty philosophical. I was on uh, some kind of journey this week. And everybody I spoke to had interesting perspectives on things. The interesting thing, uh, if you wrap your head around this thought, is that philosophers don't really do much. They they sit around and say things. They speak about things that they thought or had spoke. I mean, there are current philosophers, but I'm thinking like back in the day, like old Greek philosophers, they, past tense, spoke about things because they're dead. Modern day philosophers, I'm sure you find all over the place. Um, I don't know who's worth listening to. A lot of a lot of modern day philosophers are just dudes with a podcast, so I guess that's what the fuck I'm doing too. But um, at least I'm not Joe Rogan. I'm not saying I'm a philosopher of the same caliber as Thoreau or Plato even, but maybe in a hundred years, people will see my works, my words, my thoughts in the same vein as theirs, right? Maybe I will have good ideas that transcend my life, that transcend the boundaries between people that are... Universally accepted, near universally accepted, like many of Plato's thoughts. Who knows how my words will affect people, the words that I say, the words that my guests say on the show, especially, especially after our society collapses in 15 years. There are a lot of things that I don't know, things that I can only speculate on, and things that I don't feel are important for me to know. For example, I don't know anything, really, about musical theory. I can barely read sheet music. I know very little about the science of music, if if that follows i got a fucking text message in the middle of recording fantastic um but i really appreciate the art music is the fuel that gets you dancing and dancing is good for you it's good for your spirit and it's good for your body dancing moves muscles that don't get worked often much like swimming Dancing is interesting on its own too, like when you compare it to music as an art form. There are rules and guidelines that you can follow. Dancing can be organized, like like line dancing, or a waltz. But it can also be wild and chaotic, like a mosh pit at a rock concert, or like a waltz. I won't claim to be an expert about music, but I am... Very good at recommending music to people. I know what kind of things tickle the senses. The things that check off the pleasure boxes my friends and acquaintances have with regard to music. I have an ear for it. And so I tend to know what people would like. And am fairly apt at suggesting these kinds of things. But... With that in mind, I also have very little natural skill and I can't keep anything but the most basic rhythms for longer than a few seconds, which makes dancing difficult, which makes creating music difficult. I still enjoy partaking in the art of music and dance. I think I probably could, with practice, become pretty good at some instruments. I think drums would be the easiest. Or the best for me, because, well, because you can kind you can feel it in your chest, and it's almost like a dance of its own, right? You're sitting there, moving your feet, flailing your arms around, right? There's a poetic balance between keeping the rhythm of the music and the dance of swinging your arms and legs around. I've had a weekend beautiful weekend. I went on a long drive. There and back again. But there were no companions journeying along with me. No dragon guarding a hoard stolen from a displaced people. No war over ownership of land or man. What was there, though, was a treasure horde rivaling Smaug's the treasure of friendship, the treasure of knowledge, the treasure of love. I love driving. Driving is a journey, a small journey. There is a calm in it and a thrill. The road is sturdy and unchanging, a manifestation of a law of rules that we have created. You can drive your car here. You can transport goods along this way. We have made it easy to do so because we have decided there is value in that. There is a calm in knowing that I'm not treading any new ground, but following in the well-trod path before me, made by others and made by myself on previous occasions. The road is bound by the dimensions that we set. Lanes between nine and 15 feet wide, extra width around corners for safety at high speeds. But the road is also known to be wide open. There is a freedom of not being bound to the same place for all of a lifetime. There is a freedom felt when you are alone Traveling faster than you could ever hope to move on your body's power alone. A freedom in being mere seconds from death. But never fearing it, because of the structure of the law that brought you this freedom. We are bound by, and freed by, the same laws. On this drive, I saw many beautiful things. Things that reinforced the idea that I was on the right path. I saw a lovely family of Canadian geese. A parent at the front, a parent at the rear, and ten or so baby goslings. They were so adorable. It's astonishing to know that they grow up to be fierce chicken cobras. Then, only about a half hour later along the drive, three baby Cows Calves. Calves chasing each other around a haystack, jumping and flailing like only a baby cow knows how to do. It was such a lovely sight. I saw a family of five people all walking out of a seven eleven with slurpees, every one of them a different color. I saw a highway crew, some young turban-wearing fellows driving trucks full of raw asphalt, some young womenfolk turning the signs and paving the road, and a bunch of old white guys supervising. Well, I think they were supervising, they were drinking Tim Horton's coffee and sitting on the big machines while everyone around them worked. The purpose of this journey that I went on this weekend was twofold. Firstly, I had a delivery to make. Actual goods. I was using the road for its intended purpose. Making trade across vast distances feasible and easy. Secondly, I had recuperation to do. Bradley Recuperation. I had started to feel like I could only see the poison and evil in the world. Sitting stagnant in the same place getting input from one or two or 10 sources, you begin to notice less and less the good in people. The actions that people take don't fit in with your own moral code and you begin to despise them for it. Why is it that I spend so much time trying to be a good person, a good spirit, when the forces of evil are working through so many people? Why do people who I see Normally, as good people, make evil judgments and let hate seep from their mouths. I needed this drive to remind myself that everyone is on their own journey. A lesson that is more for myself than for any other. I have done evil things, but I still feel as though I am a good man. I try to avoid jealous or vengeful thoughts, and I am more often than not able to suppress and address those thoughts, to look at them critically, and to understand why I think them, where they were sourced from, and why they still exist within me at this point in my journey. I am at a different place in my journey than others, and they have the same lessons to learn. They don't share my truths. Or perhaps they have learned a new, more true truth that I have yet to discover. I find this last point unlikely, given that I have met very few people who analyze and scrutinize the world as minutely as I do. But even still, unlikely as it is, I am open to the possibility that I am a fool. And I am open to learning about these other truths that other people might know. On my adventure, this past weekend, I met with friends and family of mine. Separately, and together at times. Distinct groups of people with all their own journeys. And I try to impart helpful knowledge when I can, but when I can't, I try at the very least to bless them with the joy that my presence tends to bring. Often I feel like I talk too much. I get nervous around people and tend to try to fill the silence. And I find my thoughts interesting, so they must have some weight. And so I interrupt and overshare. Well, maybe not overshare, but I don't let other people have the space that their words deserve. I read an article this past week that says the optimal listening to speaking ratio is about 60-40. It was actually like a 58-42 where you should be listening over half of the time and speaking only about 40%. But that was if you're in a conversation with a single person. And if you're in a conversation with multiple partners, your speaking should reduce to somewhere in the range of 25%. Now, of course, that's an impossible standard, because if you're listening for 60% and only speaking for 40%, then your conversationalist partner is listening for 40% and speaking 60 which would mean that they are speaking too much. Now that I have created this podcast, I feel as though I have less to speak about in public. I make conscious choices not to speak to people because I would rather have the conversation here with you folks where you can't talk back to me. Is it because of this That I feel as though my words have more weight? Or have I created a podcast because I feel as though my words should be heard? Damn, this episode really is philosophical. I'll give you this little tidbit to help you decide if I'm full of myself or if I'm just looking for an outlet for my thoughts. I have developed a stutter, a slight stutter but one that I am excruciatingly aware of. I know I have spoken to my friend Eric about this in the past, but I can't recall if I made it into the interview with him. I can't be bothered to go back and listen to this show after it airs. I don't think it's worth listening to. At all. In general. Nobody should give these words anyway. Just kidding. I listen to every single episode, like three or four times while I'm editing once in double speed, almost triple speed, and then once more after it uploads to make sure that I didn't miss any clear edits. And I know my sound quality isn't quite where we expect of a podcast, but I'm the professional here, so let me make these choices. Uh, But back to the old nonsense that brought us here before the tangent, my stutter developed in high school. I was a very smart kid. That's like 10 years ago, 11 years ago, by the way. I was a very smart kid, and I am a very smart person. I might be the smartest person I personally know. And humble. Uh, but in junior high and high school, I learned the lesson that other voices needed to be heard besides my own. And I didn't learn it intentionally. I don't know if you ever really learn anything intentionally, I mean, you go sit down in a science class and you expect to learn science. You don't expect to learn that other people's voices are more important than yours. I guess. I was often spoken over, interrupted, denied the turn to speak, and often after I had started talking. Being, <clears throat> being a logical sort, I thought that maybe my words weren't convincing enough. So my brain turned to try to focus on finding the right words. This led to me starting to speak and then deciding that my word wasn't quite the right one. And so I would halt my speech and I would find the right word, creating a muscle memory of halted speech immediately after beginning a sentence. So I learned, I learned to deliberately find the most accurate word to describe my ideas before I spoke. And you know what I learned from there? A whole new lesson entirely is that nobody gives a shit. After high school, after making it into the real world, I began to realize that there are a lot of people out here who were even more self-important and would interrupt my well-thought-out speeches and ideas. And worse... They would interject with some bullshit nonsense that was either clearly wrong or about another topic altogether or incredibly racist. And there's nothing dumber than being a racist. So with people still interrupting me, even when I had meticulously planned my words, my muscle memory continued to strengthen because I would start a sentence and be interrupted. And now... Every time I speak, I feel as though I trip a little. And when I get excited, I try to speak as fast as possible to try to get all of the information out there before I can be uh, interrupted by some dipshit whose dad owns a yacht. And when I speak quickly, I have less time to think about words, and my brain tells my tongue that other words are better, and I'm currently speaking, and lo and behold, that doesn't fucking help. But even worse than that, people still don't give a shit. Everybody is so self-absorbed that they weigh their own words more highly than others. Most people. Not everyone. Not everyone. Mostly just the people that I feel need to be convinced that they're wrong. I guess... I guess the moral of the story is that I wish I would have learned to listen rather than try to be teaching at all times. People do have a lot to say. And it can't all be garbage. Everyone out there is experiencing their own full lifetimes. And it's tough to remember sometimes just how full those lifetimes can be. Your friends, your family, the strangers at 7-Eleven getting Slurpees, all have this intense existence If you think back on any memory that you have yourself, right, and you try to measure its weight, like how it made you feel, how long ago it was, if you try to remember the color of the trees surrounding your old house, for example, all of these things that you can remember are examples of the level of remembrance in other people's heads, too. So I can remember What the pine trees around my old house looked like when we were up in Whitefish. I can remember the color of the lake. I can remember the color of my dad's old truck. I know... I know my buddy Lucas doesn't remember what color my dad's old truck was. It's just something he doesn't. But there are things that he remembers that I have no clue about either, right? And you have to remember that everybody has... These vast existences. You are not the only person out there. You are not the only consciousness. I know these people as the Slurpee family, right? But they just know me as the long-haired beady guy. Guessing up. Why did I say beady? They know me as the long-haired beardy guy. Guessing up his little blue car. And I'm so much more than just a long-haired beardy guy. And they are so much more than just a slurpy family. Remember to treat everyone as though they are entire whole people with lifetimes of experiences, good and bad. And try to be good to each other. Try to be the long-haired beardy guy who gave a friendly word. Slurpees sound great today. Sometimes you just need to sit and listen. Be a friendly ear. This section is a Clive Owen appreciation zone. I watched Inside Man this week. Clive Owen's second best film. Released in 2006 the same year as his third best movie, Children of Men. And the single year previous to what is, in my opinion, his greatest film ever, Shoot'em Up. Inside Man is about the perfect bank robbery. And all of these heist movies feature big names, but rarely do they pit them against each other. You'll remember George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Don Cheadle, Matt Damon in Ocean's Eleven, right? Against, uh, what was that guy? Right. It was Andy Garcia, right? Playing a scummy casino owner. You definitely know who you want to succeed in this film. And it's not the guy who you don't recognize his name. Um, In Inside Man, Clive Owen is the robber. He's the bad guy. He takes a bunch of hostages inside the bank. And so there's a classic Hollywood hostage negotiation, and he is pit against a stacked team with Detective Denzel Washington, police captain Willem Dafoe, and outside interests and bank policy holders Christopher Plummer and Jodie Foster. Hollywood stacked. Does Detective Denzel dupe the dastardly deviants and destabilize the whole dramatic duel? Is Captain Defoe going to run in guns blazing, send his elite police team, and gun down the robberists? It's harder for you to determine the play. Who am I rooting for in this movie? Who does the movie want me to root for? Am I supposed to cheer for the heist team? Clive Owen is the narrator of the film. Am I supposed to be rooting for them? Or am I supposed to root for Denzel taking down the robbers and succeeding as a detective i won't spoil it for you because i feel like it is worth watching this movie over and over again and if you haven't seen it you should see it you should sit down and watch it it is a very very good film and if you haven't seen it in like i don't know the last two years sit down and watch it again it'll really feel for you It'll click in there. You'll you'll understand. You know. Go watch it, and then go watch Shoot 'Em Up. Cool. Hey, I have a thing. Um, while I was out, <clears throat> while while I was out on the weekend, out in the cities, I uh, drove past the Wendy's, and I was like, "Oh yeah, Wendy's, cool." And they had a big frosty on the roof, right? Like a big blow-up balloon. Frosty. You guys know Frosty? It's like a chocolatey, creamy ice cream. That's it. That they put in a cup. Um... But there's like... There's this thing that people who eat at Wendy's, and especially the people who eat Frosties at Wendy's, when you go through the drive-thru and you get your Frosty and your burger and your bag of fries, whatever... You pull a fry out of the bag and you dip it in your frosty. And that's disgusting. It's like chocolate cream pudding icing and it's not even very chocolatey, but that's the biggest flavor. You take a salty potato and you want it to be colder and chocolatey flavored these flavors do not mix well chocolate and salt sure but chocolate and potato like a hot greasy fry coated in literal ice cream think about it this way if you were eating a bowl of ice cream and someone just came and dropped a potato in it would you eat that potato this is coming from a guy who once ate a clubhouse sandwich with pepperoni and mustard and a chocolate brownie and gummy worms inside so like, know that you're nasty. Okay, so there was like a 20 minute portion there where I had to do the research and make sure I had everything set straight here for the etymology section. It really is that easy. I know y'all miss this as the etymology zone. I need to get like a schoolhouse rock style intro to this, like an obnoxious, loud 1990s cool education vibes. Boo. Boo, 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 Welcome to the Etymology Zone. Doo, 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 doo. Etymology Rules. Is that a little too close? Anyways, a little ways back, around about episode five-ish, my friend Henry gave me a couple of words that he thought might be interesting to investigate for the etymology segment. And I only just remembered them. So I went back, and now we're doing them. He said that the words rectify and rectory both come from the same root as rectum. And it was an interesting discovery I came across. First, let's learn the words. If you didn't already know, rectory is a house where a rector stays, usually owned by the church and often very nearby to it. And a rector is someone with the authority to lead others in a religious service. A rector is the person who is in charge of delivering mass. Rectify means to make right or correct, and the rectum is the terminal section of the alimentary canal. Wait, we've gone on a definition inception. One more quick little track and then we'll be back. Alimentary is a cool word because it comes from the Latin word alimentum, meaning nourishment. So most easily defined, the path of nourishment, or the alimentary canal, begins at the mouth, Moves through the esophagus and stomach and then proceeds to the intestines and terminates or ends at the rectum. Now, do I want to go all of the alike words first so we get a feel for all the words that have the same roots? All of the words that connect to the rectum? Sure. We'll explain the root second, but here are a collection of words all containing the same root. Correct. Direct. Derecho. Remember that one from the Superstorm episode? I explained how a derecho is a straight line of pressure air that moves in the same direction and causes tornadoes to form along its edges. Erect. Eric. Hey, that's my friend. Interrogate. Prerogative. Rake. Reckless. Realm, rectangle, regiment, regent, regular, rich, right, rule. You can almost see how they all connect in some way. Now oh, wait, a, wait a second, I have a note here. It's I missed the most important one. It says Henry is also related. Weird. Let's take a look under the hood and see how these words connect. A rector comes from Latin rector meaning ruler governor or guide from rect which is a past participle of the word regere meaning to rule or guide from the proto-indo-european root reg meaning to move in a straight line rectangles have straight lines reckless are people who don't move in straight lines derechos are long straight lines of pressure right Rectify is pretty straightforward, after that definition. It's Latin, coming from the same root reg, but moving through rectus, meaning straight, and rectifier, literally meaning to make straight. That's a French word, so it might be rectifier. Rectum comes from the same place. You know how your intestines are all bungled and flopping and all convoluted crazy inside of you and it doesn't look like it does on all those anatomical models? Well, it's just kind of twisted and stuff. But there's a straight bit at the end. That's the rectum. The end. It's funny, well not funny haha, but funny interesting, how the French word for king... And the word for royalty and regent and all that nonsense is literally the same as the root for being in a straight line. So ruler, like a king, and ruler, like the measuring stick, have the same meaning. The thing that keeps things in order. Sure. They have the same root and took a different path, but the meaning is almost the same. Now to the juicy bit. Henry comes from the old German... Heimrich, which means ruler of the house. From heim meaning home, and Reiki, meaning ruler. From reg, and, you know, beyond. To keep straight, to rule. There is no real difference. So, to Henry, I give you this lovely, inspirational, etymological discovery. When someone calls you an asshole, just think. You are no closer to an asshole than you are to a king. There are lifetimes full of learning. There are lifetimes full of rebellion. Lifetimes of logic, lifetimes of emotion, of passion, ignorance, serenity. I live in a space where there are more questions than answers where every half-truth exposes more discovery. I know that my ideas are evolving even as I am learning them for the first time. Knowledge should be sought. To understand yourself and others. To understand faith and nature. Knowledge is attainable for all, but wisdom is rarely reached. Some spend their whole lives searching for knowledge, Growing every day, trying to find a universal truth. Many have gone before me, and their journeys are recorded. I don't need to tread the same ground that they had to learn the lessons that they did. But I know also that many accounts contradict other accounts in their views regarding specific ideas, but share the same views regarding other ideas. So nobody gets it all right. You take pieces... And you compare them against others and you find the truths that are similar within each. Some truths are turned false after new truths are uncovered. And there are a great many truths to be found. There is no universal truth I have found but this. Love is all that matters. Things that come from a place of love things that expound and proclaim love, are ideas worth spreading. Well, but love of money is the root of all evil, right? This is well known. So this could counter the previous point, unless we consider that love is not self-serving. Self-love is not immoral. To love others, you need to be able to love yourself. You need to understand how love is received within yourself to be better equipped to spread that love to others. Self-love is not immoral, but selfish love is. To create love within yourself at the cost, at the pain of others, is decadent and immoral. To be real love, it must be to the service of others. Love is all that matters. You should attain knowledge for yourself and love for all others. And if you don't get to make the choice and only have the space for one, let it be love for others. Love is all that matters. Thanks for listening, everyone. I love you all. That theme song is was by Eagle Boy and NX Panton.